my podcast, Beginner's Mind. My name is Chris. This week, I had the honor to moderate a panel discussion at the RACI conference. It is one of the most important meetings for early stage investments in the United States. Life Science Nation is the organizer of the event series. Last year in March, the RACI conference visited Europe for the first time. The city of choice was beautiful Vienna. I invited Dennis Ford and Greg Mannix to join my life science get-together number eight. At the RACI conference in Vienna, I had the unique opportunity to speak at the panel how business angels and family offices view seed rounds and Series A financing. At the BioUS, I again supported the RACI conference as a speaker. This time, we were talking about European tech hubs. This year, the conference is back in Europe. This time, it should be Paris, but, well, due to the actual situation with the coronavirus, the conference turned digital. Last Monday, we recorded the European Tech Hub panel. At the panel, I had the opportunity to speak with three wonderful speakers about their unique models in Europe. The introduction to the panel is given by Greg Mannix. Without any further ado, let's jump right into the introduction and into the panel discussion. Enjoy! Hello, this is Greg Mannix. I'm Chief Conference Officer at Life Science Nation. We're the hosts of the RESI Conference Series. Um, about a year ago, the first RESI Europe Conference was held in Vienna. It was in March 2019. And that was the first time we had a focus program on the tech hubs from Europe. It's important because we think that tech hubs, in all their diversity, and there is a lot of diversity, uh, are playing a key role in moving the needle in Europe to help bring new drugs, devices, diagnostics, and digital health platforms to the market. Over the past 18 months, uh, our CEO at LSN, Dennis Ford, and myself have been traveling in Europe and meeting a lot of these, a lot of these tech hubs. In fact, we've had fundraising boot camps at 17 tech hubs, and we've met about 600 European entrepreneurs in doing so. On today's panel, four experts will be speaking about the early stage life science ecosystems in their own neck of the woods. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the new Digital Resi Conference. My name is Christian Soschner. I have the honor to present the Tech Hub panel to you. Many thanks to Life Science Nation for the invite. Um, I'm here with uh, three wonderful speakers from Europe, uh, Sharon Bloquist. He is the Chief Business Officer at Pivot Park in the Netherlands. Uh, Olivier, Research Director uh, at Servier in France. And Irene Fierke, who is the CEO at uh, Imitz Gründer Service in Vienna, Austria. Myself, I'm in the life science industry since 2006 and work with uh, European startups 
since 2008. At the beginning in 2008, I was extremely frustrated because we almost had no support for life science startup companies in Europe. Since then, a lot has changed um, to the better. And when I look at the situation right now in Europe, uh, basically what investors usually want to see are developed companies with uh, some clinical data points and life science companies need a lot of money to achieve that. So let's jump right into the discussion with our three wonderful speakers and find out how the situation is in Europe. Sharon, you are working uh, in the Netherlands. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and your initiative? Yeah, and, and also thanks to Life Science Nation for the invite. And um, So I'm Jerome Blockhaus. I'm the current uh, CBO of the Pivot Park. Um, Pivot Park is a, uh, a young science park. It's eight years old, uh, but it has a, a rich history. Um, almost 100 years ago, um, one of the uh, first pharma companies of the Netherlands uh, was based uh, there. It was called Organon. Um, that later got acquired by Shearing Plow, which later got acquired by MSD. And then in 2011, uh, MSD uh, decided to separate a part of the park. Uh, it was given back to the local uh, municipality and, um, and they decided to make this a, a hub uh, for um, former employees of MSD um, that were part of their R&D um, that wanted to form startups. And so initially uh, we started with uh, 22 startups. Uh, now the park has over 60 companies uh, there and we're growing. Um, a little bit about my background. I'm a scientist by training. Uh, initially I studied molecular virology, uh, which could be topical uh, and, and timely in, in this time. Um, but then I switched, uh, I did my PhD uh, in immunology and genetics. Um, I um, moved to the United States, to California, to do a postdoc at Stanford University. Um, and then I, um, again, did a switch uh, to focus on business development and investing. Um, I worked with a group called Life Science Angels at, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, from 2016 to 2019, I was the head of business development for the Parker Institute for Cancer Immunotherapy. Um, but then I decided I missed Europe and I missed the Netherlands and uh, we came back um, and I joined the Pivot Park. Um, my main function there is to, uh, to coordinate um, uh, investment opportunities for the companies, um, to coordinate uh, new opportunities. And uh, I'm currently in the process of um, developing an incubator program uh, focused on uh, the things that we do well in OS which is drug discovery, uh, drug development, and drug manufacturing. Um, we have several companies already there that are uh, doing all of those. Uh, and we think that uh, having an incubator would just add value to the community. That's it. Thank you very much, Sharon. Olivier, what about you? How is the situation at Servier in France? Yeah, hello, Christian, and hello, everybody. Very happy again that Life Science Nation organized this meeting. Um, I'm currently 
Scientific Director of Research at Servier, which is a global pharma company headquartered in France. We are actually a mid-sized company, so not the whole world knows about Servier, but uh, we have a strong network of, uh, of partners uh, uh, in the health sciences. And um, we, ha we do have a strong medical scientific culture, uh, uh, and that dates back to the founding of the company by Dr. Servier in the 1950s. So this is a great place to, to run drug discovery programs, to bring new solutions to patients, and we all know that uh, this is extremely important. Uh, I'll say a few words about my background. I'm a, I'm a scientist, I'm a biochemist by training, and actually I'm, a, I'm very much of a survey and a drug discovery guy because I joined Servier right after my PhD as a postdoc, and uh, I, actually I stayed there until uh, fr fr uh, from this time. I've been involved in, uh, in uh, drug discovery for 20 years now, uh, and uh, I'm passionate about uh, technology and, uh, and drug discovery. This is what I've been doing, at least for the most part of my career now. Uh, establishing partnerships, and this is absolutely key in, in what I uh, grew up with uh, in the drug discovery area. Uh, we all know that there's no such thing as uh, someone having a great idea and uh, developing that into a, a medicine on, on his or her own. So drug discoveries uh, is mostly uh, a question of uh, finding the appropriate partners, and this is what I've been doing for years now um, as, as a contributor or as a leader with various uh, uh, partners, it, could, it can be academic or, or, or private partners, small or large companies. In all cases, there's a lot of uh, importance in how we craft the partnership, and I think we'll have the opportunity to, to get back to this point later in, in the discussion. I've also been involved in quite a few initiatives that Servier went through in terms of company transformation. All companies go through transformations, especially when there's a change in the scope or in the remit of the company. And Servier went through these steps, and this has been a very important journey for the company and for myself. And this is where we are now with a very strong focus on transforming our research activities, making what we are doing much more agile, flexible, metrics-based, partnership-based everything uh, that uh, plenty of companies are trying to do. It's always easy to say. It's uh, very often much more of a challenge to implement. And part of that is our project of uh, having a brand new research center south of Paris on the Paris-Saclay cluster. And this is a fantastic project that will see 800 of our uh, uh, colleagues gathering into one single uh, research site we're all very excited by this because obviously it's not only about having a, a brand new building, but also uh, rethinking, as I was alluding to, our, our ways of working for drug discovery. And along all this, I mean, working in technology, partnerships for these uh, years, uh, we came up to the conclusion that uh, reaching out to small companies is not always easy and uh, not always something that uh, we think is the most appropriate to come as a customer, let's say, of these companies. So we are thinking of uh, moving one step further and uh, building a co-creation lab, it can be called an incubator, we will see, 
but uh, alongside our, our new research center, having a very specific place to foster drug discovery innovation. And, and I'm very happy to be able to talk with our panelists on, on this project and get their insight and uh, and build together an overall uh, view of what what is going on in Euro Europe in this respect. Thank you very much, Olivier. Really impressive what you have achieved with your organization so far. Uh, Irene, you are CEO of one of the, I would say, most successful uh, deep tech early stage incubation programs in Europe. Tell us a little bit about a little, a little bit more about you and your organization. Yes, thank you very much um, for being invited in this high-class panel. Uh, thank you for the organization in these critical times. Um, I've, uh, my, my background is genetics molecular biology, and I've worked with uh, high-tech startups, in particular, of course, life sciences startups, since 2004. Um, in that long period of time, there has been a lot of development and a lot of uh, dynamics that um, in the past really has increased and getting faster and faster. Um, so in it, it focuses on early stage uh, healthcare startups, life sciences startups, but also others. We are an interdisciplinary university business incubator. And as such, we have been ranked amongst the top 20 university business incubators in the world uh, for since 2013, in fact. Um, uh, two years ago, we launched another acceleration program focusing on health startups at a little bit later stage. So startups that have some funding, have a certain team size, um, have some products on the market already. We call them corporate ready. <laughs> Um, because what uh, the other panelists have said before, that it's all about collaboration between startups and, and established players. Um, and uh, with the acceleration program, Health of Vienna, we focus on that. Uh, we launched it together with Unica, which is one of the biggest private insurance companies here in Austria, but also with pharmaceutical partners like AstraZeneca, Novartis, Böhringer, Ingelheim, Egis, Sanofi. Um, of course, um, as we have had partnerships with the universities here in Vienna, including the medical university, um, we have a broad spectrum of academic partners also on board, and the partnership really grows over time. Uh, what we do there is really help health startups, digital health startups, to get access to the healthcare system, not only in Austria, and maybe Christian, you talk about some other aspects of, you know, really linking those startups further to international players. Um, and, and by that, helping the healthcare system to transform in a way that it really needs to transform. And now just, you know, reflecting on the current crisis situation, um, what could have happened if we all had in place telemedical solutions already, which is little um, in Europe still. Um, um, Asia is much further advanced in telemedical solutions. The United States is much further advanced. But here in Europe, it's really some, some thing that we are lagging behind. So 
um, this is what we do. Um, uh, plus, we help the, the, the universities to really perform the tech transfer in, uh, into startups. Uh, um, this is our main focus. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. And uh, I do agree with all panelists. Um, I think uh, these days to develop deep tech life science projects is has a lot to do uh, with collaboration cross borders. And I'm really impressed that in 2020 we already have uh, working and functioning ecosystems. There is always, of course, some room for improvement. Uh, Irene, for example, mentioned uh, telemedicine, uh, where we lack a little bit behind in Europe, uh, but we have promising companies already in the pipeline. Um, the question I have at this point is, what does it take to attract startups and early stage companies to these ecosystems so that they get the right support? What do you think, Sharon? Yeah, thank you, Christian. Um, it's interesting because um, you know, the Pivot Park is not associated with uh, any Dutch university. And so the, you know, the traditional model of, of startups uh, coming from the nearest by university and finding a place uh, at the hub of the university doesn't, uh, doesn't work for us. Uh, the way that we, uh, you know, are formed and, and are differentiating ourselves um, from the other Dutch uh, uh, players in this field is that uh, we historically we have a, a very strong background in, in, in again drug development small molecules and uh, and chemistry and so the labs um, that we offer startups are are, are custom um, they are are focused typically on biochemistry um, and then we we emphasize our community so that we have uh, already companies on our park um, that have done it before, that have taken a, a, an idea uh, from the drawing board all the way to uh, clinical trials and even market. Um, and I think this is really uh, key to have an ecosystem in which um, uh, everyone uh, can learn from each other, where there are also the, the companies uh, that can help, so that can help in um, uh, clinical uh, registration uh, consulting that can help in uh, manufacturing solutions and that can you know, be attractive for even for a, a, a startup that just um, you know is coming from uh, either uh, a university somewhere in the Netherlands um, or uh, or uh, a founder uh, from a larger company um, it's attractive because they don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel they can really uh, tap into that ecosystem at Pivot Park. 
Thank you very much, Sharon. Uh, you mentioned lab space, and I can tell from my own experience in the last couple of months, uh, this is really one of the key points uh, that's most needed in Europe to have sufficient lab space, especially for drug development companies. I was searching for um, an early stage company about half a year to find something here in Vienna. So there is a uh, little bit to improve on that side. Thanks for uh, for pointing that out that in the Netherlands you have lab space. I, I will remember that. Olivier, um, lab space is one thing, but I think the second thing is um, to give young entrepreneurs or scientists to jump directly into founding a company with basically no background in business, the right mentorship and advice. Uh, how is the situation in France? Do you think you have enough spaces where uh, scientists can go to get, uh, to get advice? What do you think uh, uh, is the situation? Well, as Jérôme uh, said, uh, learning from peers and from uh, experts is absolutely key. The drug dis discovery process and development, as we know, is an extremely sophisticated one. So by no means uh, you can just uh, start on your own dynamics and, uh, and think you're going to succeed on your own. So um, in France, there's, there's been for years uh, uh, very strong support from the government that helped create some innovation clusters uh, that we call the Incubateur Allegre, which is a series of incubators that are strongly supported by uh, public subsidies. There's a range of them, mostly located in the Paris area, where there's about 80% of, uh, of uh, company creation that happens. So this is very strong to help uh, to be entrepreneurs, to move forward with their ideas and to get support and advice to uh, create their companies and to build a team. Uh, so this is a strong asset, I think, together with uh, a lot of um, financial support. VPI uh, France is uh, uh, one of the world's uh, biggest uh, sovereign funds for uh, deep tech innovation. This is good. So there's strong dynamics uh, at the uh, very early stage uh, level. Then when it comes to um, transitioning to more uh, of an industrial phase, once you've gone through the proof of concept, once you've uh, identified the key uh, elements of your project and you've started building a, a team and, uh, and actually when you know where you have to head, in terms of uh, uh, going to a preclinical candidate, talking about the biotechnology area, then you do need to access to alternative uh, expertise and advice. You can find peers that went through the same uh, process and uh, some serial entrepreneurs are still around in early stage uh, incubators. But very often, uh, you don't uh, have that at hand, I would say, and uh, you do need to have access to some additional mentoring and, 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 and uh, not training, but uh, advice. And I would say that this is what is lacking, uh, and, uh, and that's uh, at least uh, the, uh, the analysis that many people are doing uh, in the uh, ecosystem uh, of uh, entrepreneurship in France. So very strong um, support for company creation, uh, but then um, a little bit of a lack 
to go to the next stage. It's not that there's nothing, and especially for uh, digital uh, health or to uh, med tech, there are programs to help uh, transitioning. Um, but for biotech innovation, this is uh, much more difficult. And this is typically why we, we are having this initiative at Survey, because we feel that we can fill the gap. Um, all of our, our most, the vast majority of our research activities are, are in France. We do operate worldwide in 150 companies, but our research is mostly located in France. So it means that most of the expertise can be uh, at hand to someone who's really looking for support. And this is what we what we want to do with this uh, new place that we want to develop, to have a place where uh, people that uh, have been residing in an incubator for a couple of years, they have funds and they, they need to transition, then they can turn to this new place. They can enter the place without any um, engagement or any contract with Survey in terms of IP or research. They can just enjoy the services of the place, the uh, mentorship, the uh, uh, networking, plus they can turn to survey experts and have access to advice without giving up their IP, without giving up the, the control of their project, and they can even turn to us to run some experiments that they would never be able to run in an incubator or even in their original academic lab. So this is exactly what we want to, to provide uh, and down the road, obviously, to be able to, to uh, find a good match with some of the companies. We would never be able to support all of them. We are heading for about 100 seats in our uh, place. So we do not aim at uh, having all these companies partnering with Survey, but some of them, when there's a good fit, uh, and to all of them, we would provide or attempt to provide some assistance and guide them to uh, reaching the, uh, let's say, typically the clinical development stage. Thank you very much, Olivier. Um, when I talk to US-based investors um, and ask them the question, what, what blocks you to invest directly in Europe? Because we have, uh, thanks to the Horizon programs, a lot of technology developed uh, in basic research on the universities but uh, tremendously lack uh, capital for development in later stages. Uh, when you ask these questions, uh, US-based investors, I usually get uh, one answer, and this is uh, looking in uh, the United States are a single market. And when I look towards Europe, it's fragmented. Uh, Irene, you are uh, active in Europe uh, within it since 2004, and I have been pointing out at collaboration um, how do you perceive the developments in Europe when it comes to cross-border collaborations since 2004? Thank you for that interesting question. Um, uh, Vienna, uh, to start with Vienna, um, has invested into life sciences for the very same reason as everybody else since really, really a long time. Um, Init got started after uh, uh, Austria and Vienna have started to invest into that domain. Yet what I do see is that the life sciences, the term life sciences, 
now really starts to change much more from what I may call, if you permit, um, the classical life sciences, meaning pharmaceutical, biotechnology, therapy development, into uh, what I saw increasingly popping up, um, you know, 10 years ago, um, is medtech companies, which were not that strong in when I started in 2004. And now um, in 2011, um, also a lot of uh, digital startups really started to, to um, pop up. And the number now is really amazing. Um, so the term life sciences has changed over time from rather therapy development towards medical treatment, really medical devices, etc., towards digital solutions. Um, that's one thing. The other thing, this also has, has been mentioned already, there is an amazing amount of talent in Europe. And there, it goes back to the great sciences and scientists in Europe, I think, um, who started to think of technology transfer, not only in terms of licensing out their solutions and basic research results, but also in terms of incorporating their own startups. And that number has increased over time. The, the driving force has increased over time. And that also means that uh, those who have started a business already, maybe failed, some of them sold, um, they come back and give back that know-how and bring it uh, into newly starting companies. And that's really a driving force that speeds up the entire process. And I see a lot of um, not only number, but also uh, the entire ecosystem, startup ecosystem, becoming more professional, um, and I think that's really what what uh, th there is a lot of potential in Europe, um, uh, which we can still deliver. I would say. Thank you, Irene. Let's stay a little sorry, bit. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. If it comes to investors, <laughs> um, which is, of course, in particular for life sciences companies, is um, much more difficult than for many other domains. Um, I also see a similar development. Uh, there, the, the money available for life sciences startups is increasing, whereas there's still a lot of potential. What I also do see, probably due to the low low interest rates etc that investing into startups has become um, more available to a bigger public um, um, there's more people looking into investing into startups um, be it by crowdfunding but also business angels and i also see more and more institutional investors um, investing into either fund of fund instruments or directly um, the pharmaceutical industry was really the first one who was um, establishing corporate venture um, corporate funds vcs 
Um, but now we do see it from others too, like insurance companies, just take Unica Ventures, um, but, but others, medtech companies. Um, so we do see a lot more also different types of investors um, being available in Europe also. Thank you, Irene, for, for your points. Um, you mentioned the investors, and I would like to stay a little bit uh, on, on that side and um, wonder what are actually the differences uh, between finding funding in Europe and finding funding in the United States. Sharon, if I remember right, you know both territories quite well. What is your opinion on that? Right. So, um, in the United States, in the Bay Area, I spent uh, over three years uh, working, uh, first of all, for an angel investment group, and second of all, uh, you know, working with a lot of uh, VCs there. Um, now, obviously, you know, San Francisco is really one of the you know, top U.S. Uh, biotech hubs, and so as a consequence, uh, you see many, many startups. Uh, I saw about 400 decks being presented each year uh, to the angel group. Um, um, as a consequence of that and, and there being uh, relatively available capital, um, you see that every idea, if it comes from a major you know, top university, would get some level of funding. And um, also with you know the, the tech infrastructure there, um, you would have both the life science, traditional life science investors, as well as tech investors uh, coming into the mix. Um, and as a result, um, oftentimes, uh, you know, when I judge and look at companies, I would look at their team, I would look at their intellectual property, and I would look at, most importantly, does it work? Or is there a scientific basis, a rationale for, for the idea or for the drug? Um, but you would still see in the Bay Area that uh, um, uh, companies would be, I would say, typically overvalued uh, for what they would show on those points. Uh, now, in contrast to what I now see in Europe, is that uh, when companies approach us to uh, to join Pivot Park, uh, typically, you know, the work that has gone into um, their proof of concept or their uh, initial idea is much more elaborate uh, and so these companies are actually I would say uh, uh, more de-risked uh, and so there's a tremendous opportunity I think in, in Europe for both um, investors that are in Europe but also for US or Asian investors that are looking at you know again life sciences drug discovery um, in Europe um, I think the the companies are are evaluating um, themselves right uh, instead not overvaluing uh, the companies. Um, and uh, I have to echo Irene in that the investor climate in Europe is also becoming uh, much more sophisticated so that, um, you know, you will see uh, people in Europe also uh, finding the right opportunities and funding them. Um, so I'm not too worried when I look at the future of, you know, when starting an incubator program can we make connections with the investors? I think actually that uh, there'll be a, a big opportunity uh, to get the momentum, to get the you know, the um, 
institutional investors from whether it be pharma or, or other companies uh, in Europe involved, I think that uh, the US-based investors can look more to Europe uh, because there are more opportunities there, I think, um, for them. Um, and then I think that the traditional life science investors in Europe are becoming much more sophisticated. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, funding, I think, is one important cornerstone when it comes to developing successfully health sciences. Uh, Olivier, what is your opinion? What are other key success factors uh, for innovative life science projects? Well, actually, I very much concur to what Irene and, and Jaron uh, said about funding and uh, more specifically the um, the importance to find the right partner the right moment at the right price so uh, what i see uh, similarly to to jeron is uh, an increasing gap uh, in the us between uh, at least from our perspective as a mid-sized european pharma company an increasing gap between uh, uh, the level of expectations set by the uh, uh, companies and their early uh, uh, VCs in terms of uh, financial uh, um, input from a, po a potential partner and what we would value as a drug discovery project uh, with its uh, uh, perspective in terms of and risks actually yeah, perspective and risks in terms of uh, development and market access so that gap is obviously uh, uh, very difficult to handle. Either you pay a very high tag price to access to a, a still very risky project, or you just uh, watch uh, the catalog and you just don't access to anything because, uh, because you don't want to enter into the, this game or you simply cannot because uh, of the investments that are required. We're talking of a few tens of millions as early as you, as you reach the lead up stage. So um, this makes uh, the um, reasons for success very specific, or at least it requires to companies such as Servier to really think deeply in, in uh, how you would uh, uh, partner and how you would spot the appropriate projects to, to, to support. So um, what is important there in, in, in these dynamics is to find the right slot, as I was saying, and, and to find the appropriate moment with the, uh, a project with, with, with uh, shows promises, which is strong enough on the scientific rationale and on the team, but which has not yet uh, reached the uh, um, the funding uh, 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 tornado, uh, especially if it is in the U.S. and to enter into a much more rational and uh, and uh, industry-based uh, uh, relationship in order to work jointly. And I think that maybe this is the key thing to enter into a relationship between the uh, large companies and, and, and the young com innovation companies into a relationship which is much less of a client and, and a provider with a, an object to sell, which is a project, but much more into a, a, a bi-directional relationship. 
where there's a deep understanding of the stakes of the project, where there's a deep in commitment and involvement of both parties, and uh, putting that in the perspective uh, of success, uh, a therapeutic success for, for patients. Not saying that uh, there's not money and big money involved, but to do this uh, with the most appropriate way. And uh, I think Jérôme uh, uh, mentioned that the, the market in, in uh, Europe is sophisticated and becoming increasingly sophisticated. I would take uh, sophistication as this balance between uh, uh, having a, a, a market-only approach to drug discovery into a more, more of a partnership approach with joint vision, joint interest, of course, money is down the road, and uh, this is uh, very important. But uh, the fundamentals should be really what is driving the teams to a therapeutic success. And I, I truly think that joining efforts between large and small companies can be a tremendous lever in, in this respect. Thank you very much, Olivier. I I can absolutely relate to that. I started out in the life science industry in 2006 as an executive at the Novartis spin-out. We got 40 million euros Series A funding right away, so we need a lot of money in the drug development space. Um, from 2015 onwards, I got more and more interested in uh, artificial intelligence and digital health solutions. This is how I got in touch with Farine and Inits and Health Hub Vienna on a more regular basis. And I always wonder, Irene, what are the biggest hurdles today for digital health startups? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. That's a very good question. Uh, digital health startups, uh, they have one advantage, they are digital, um, uh, which sometimes looks so much easier to develop, uh, yet um, the biggest challenge of the digital health startups is really the very, very complicated healthcare system. Um, it is complicated everywhere but in europe um, we have the issue that it's really dependent uh, on the national uh, systems and they are very diverse um, so if you develop a health uh, a, an e-health solution for the austrian healthcare system which fits into that um, system business model wise it by far does not mean that it fits into the German or the Swiss, only to talk about the German-speaking countries, not even in, you know, thinking about a lot further. Um, so this is definitely a challenge um, on top of 
proving that it really works. Yeah? Um, what I also see is that a lot of digital health solutions aim at preventive medicine. Um, and of course, this is always a challenge. How do I prove that prevention really works if it comes to whatever, long-term diseases like um, um, diabetes or whatever? Um, and that's a, another challenge, yeah, um, because basically they kind of have to prove to the healthcare system that they do work, yet also if it comes to therapy, you know, classical drug development, um, talking about preventive medicine is always difficult. Um, um, the third level is really the regulatory level, and that's um, because you know, yes, these, you know, technology-wise, an app or whatever is not really new, yet in the healthcare system, it is very new. So the regulatory bodies are lagging behind the potential of those solutions also. Um, this makes every e-health entrepreneur a real pioneer um, because, they, you know, they aim at markets which are Underregulated is maybe you know is a difficult <laughs> in its positive way, um, but it also has negative side effects because um, it can be, you know over time there will be rules and regulations being developed, and it means that every pioneer, every e-health entrepreneur really pushes the limits in concerning these levels, and that's for instance, led to the situation that, you know, telemedicine is not that well spread in Europe because uh, the regulatory bodies, you know, they, there is no clear rule yet on how to do, how is it being remunerated uh, by the um, insurances, etc. So it's, it's, it's pushing the borders on the business model level, and that's really, really difficult. Uh, if it comes to funding, I do see it's probably easier to get funding for e-health solutions, but it's really the market entry that is the more difficult thing. And it's not marketing, what I mean, it's entering the market, how do I get into the system so it can really, the solution can really scale. Um, I think that's the, the, most, the most important differences um, um, to the classical life health, life sciences business because this basically stayed the same it's still the same uh, um, it's still as a startup you develop a therapy to a certain stage and then you rather aim to you know licensing it out or selling it to a pharmaceutical company um, that business model didn't change over 20 years um, um, but for the health, uh, digital health solution, it definitely, they do change systems. Uh, they do change healthcare systems. Um, so it's all very dynamic on, on that level. Thank you, Irene. Uh, we have five minutes left on the call. And I would like to wrap up the session with one last round of questions. Uh, that I usually like to ask at the end of my podcast interviews. Um, Sharon, 
uh, we are all looking uh, to the United States for investors. And if a US-based investor wants to come to Europe, what single piece of advice would you give this investor? <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, the advice I, I would give them is, is that they should um, you know, leave, leave their US uh, hat back in the US and really approach this from a, uh, a value perspective. Uh, there's so much value in, in, in European uh, startups, in uh, the larger companies that are in Europe that are partnering with these startups, that they really should approach uh, investing in European startups from a value perspective and not just from a valuation perspective. Thanks. Olivier, what's your advice? Well, I, I think this is a, a little bit of what we said uh, uh, before and um, focusing on value is typically one strong advice. Um, reaching out to um, uh, expert mentoring, I, I think uh, among the um, co-working places, incubators, accelerators, there's a lot of uh, expertise and I think Irene has been very uh, uh, clear about what she can do to support uh, uh, medtech and e-health. Um, so yes, look at the environment. It's extremely dynamic, extremely rich. There's a lot of value. There's a lot of uh, gemstones and uh, there's a huge number of opportunities which are shaping up into more and more visible and organized uh, initiatives. So come here and talk. Thanks. And Irene, what's your advice? Uh, there, is, there is one uh, sentence that fits um, here very well too. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, so my advice is don't underestimate the cultural differences. In many ways, um, getting into Europe and investing here um, um, you have to think differently, we heard that already, but also um, you cannot just transfer the entire team of a startup into, for instance, the United States. So I think the cultural differences just have to be borne in mind because um, whatever investor wants to have is a startup that scales beyond those borders the culture definitely is the barrier to that. So we are at the end of uh, this panel discussion. Thank you very much, uh, Sharon, Olivier and Irene for your time and your input and, and wisdom and for sharing. And I wish you all the best and stay safe. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for the great discussion. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Life Science Nation. Thank you, Christian. Thank you all. Very nice discussion. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.